Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the beating a dead horse until it's a pile of sticky goo and the joke is ruined. Am I beating a dead horse until it's a pile of sticky goo and the joke is ruined? And also, Dune Watch 22 and Mr. Robert Lundgren, how are you? There's also a typo in your in your script there. Did you read the damn script then? I did. Hmm. I think it was the second one supposed to be a joke, or is it the jerk? 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 Jurkay. I just wrote it real fast, man. I was busy. What do you want? Jurkay. We're doing yet another Dune game later, buddy. That's what you get. <laughs> Look, it's not my fault that they're pandering to my obsession. That's not on me. My complete lack of impulse control when it comes to buying these things, though, completely on me. 100% I own that. Well, okay, then. I like pandering to my obsession. That's That sounds like an episode title. All right, moving right along. <laughs> As always, we're going to kick this sucker off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming. And today of all days, Robert, what is today? Jonathan, happy International Legging Day. Yes. As, as one does. We're celebrating. That's right. Which is practically what my daughter always wears. Yeah, so that's, figured... that's part of my uh, standard uniform for my kids as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your wife do it too, or? Uh, yes, but not as often. Mm-hmm. And then there's those curious jeggings. They're like jean leggings. Those make yeah. no sense to me. And they also look yeah. very uncomfortable. <laughs> International Leggings Day. You came, you saw, you conquered. And we are moving right along. Into our first segment, of course. Our off-the-shelf segment. That is where we get all the things off of our shelves. And now onto our tables and into our media players. And most importantly, into our hearts. Robert, my list is sad and weak because I've had jury duty and work, and it's just been a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I, a couple of weeks. It's been like a month, man. Yeah, it's been gnarly. Uh, the beginning of school brought some additional scheduling challenges that um, we're still working through. It's just been a show, the kind that comes out of the rear end of the cow, not the front end. Why are you stopping yourself from cussing? What 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 sort of topsy turvy world do we live in right now? Like seriously, do you not get the joke there? I I got the joke. I got the joke. It just wasn't funny, so I guess it wasn't a joke. I have no idea where we're going. I'm being negative. I apologize. Where I don't know where we're going either. Shall we go through my anemic list of things that I've done in the last uh, couple weeks? Yeah, tell you what. Since your list is anemic, where where do you want to start? Uh, movies and TV. All right. And I'll say this. You can mention the Thor Love and Thunder, but please don't get into it because I am still, I'm only about halfway through it. I need to sit down and finish it. Oh, well, in that case, I watched Thor Love and Thunder. It came out on the Disney Plus. I'm having a great time with it. Or I had a great time with it. I watched it twice, actually. My, my children <laughs> have watched it like 832 times in, mm-hmm. since it was released. I have, I think I've seen the entire thing. I just need to now watch it in order. 
I, I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. I've heard a lot of people complain that it wasn't like as good as um, uh, Ragnarok. Ragnarok. There you go. Thank you. Uh, I kind of disagree, but we can get into wa- the specifics after you get done watching it. Hopefully by next episode. Hopefully by next episode. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. How many things are on your list? How many? How many can I? Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. All right. I told well, you I it was through. anemic. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's clip through all my Dracula <laughs> then. Okay. So we got the Paramount Plus. I check the Paramount Plus on occasion to see if there's anything worth watching there that's not Star Trek. And on there, it's leaving at the end of the month was Dracula 2000. And I'm like, oh, I remember Dracula 2000. I remember thinking that it was almost okay. I remember seeing it in the theaters and not only thinking, not only is it pretty okay, but like it was downright clever and gave an interesting twist. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I'll agree. And what I honestly liked about it was, uh, you know, in a lot of media, they portray like vampires as being very, very seductive and, you know, whatever. But like a lot of times, like the vampire protagonist isn't seductive at all. Like there's just something creepy and awful about him. But gosh darn, that young Gerard Butler. Oh, my God. Like, like I, 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 I'm, I'm a dude and I'm real. I'm, I'm as straight as. Yeah. But man, man, if that guy looked at me and said, come with me forever, I'd think I'd think about it at the very least. I'd think about it like like he was. I was just like, damn, damn, oh, dude, you'd be playing that Annie Lennox song from the from the Ford Coppola Dracula <laughs> on repeat on your CD player because it's 2000. That's true. I had that CD, too. I did, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I uh yeah, I, it wasn't great. It it was clever. It, it It's not you know. a good movie. It's not no. a good movie. No. What it is, is it's clever. And it yeah. does some interesting things with mythos that other Dracula movies have not done. Uh, and I think anchors it a little more effectively than some of the other Dracula movies. Having become a bit of a subject matter expert on, on the Dracula, I, I do like his portrayal in that when he's uh, roaming around uh, New Orleans during Mardi Gras and just getting into the sinning. Like, yeah, yeah. Dracula would be real into that. He'd be like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, sac- and, and, and the, the twi- sacrilegiousness. And, and and because I want people to go out and watch it because it's clever enough to deserve a watch, uh, the, the twist at the end is, is remarkably well thought out. Yeah, it ain't bad. It ain't bad. So I found out at the library, because Dracula uh, 2 and 3 of that series, Ascension and whatever the other one was with Rutger Hauer. Uh, those aren't streaming anywhere and I've never actually watched them, but they had it at the library. So I bought the, uh, the West Craven Dracula or I didn't buy, I rented the, the West Cra- Craven Dracula three packs. So we're going to, we're going to give those a go. So hopefully by next time I'll have something to say. <laughs> I did not realize that they'd made sequels. Oh God. Okay. I, I've seen the second one. I have seen the second one. It's continuation from the original one is stupid and I hated it. But we'll move on from there. You want to know what, you want to know how they continue that story? I am actually curious. Okay, so in the morgue, uh, at, when they take Dracula's burnt corpse down to the morgue, somebody figures out that his body's like regrowing because he wasn't really dead, and so they switched bodies so they could go study it. And so the the, the peeps from the uh, the first one they don't have the real Dracula body, and I thought that was really dumb because that made them seem far less competent than they probably should have been. It is extremely dumb. 
It is. It is. I'm not. I'm not going to deny it. However, there are there's there's a couple of very clever moments. It is not a good film, but there are a couple of very clever moments in it that are are kind of like like I've showed them to people because I find them awesome. Like they're really good moments. They're the best moments that the movie has, and it's possibly not worth the the 90 minutes of other filler to watch those moments. But regardless, I uh, I I do I do find bits of that movie enjoyable. Not the least of which is uh, Jason Lee. The uh, the martial arts guy who did the the dragon the Bruce Lee story. Uh, he plays a kung fu Catholic priest that's a vampire hunter, and it's freaking awesome. And I'm down for that. I just like the title Kung Fu Catholic Priest. Like that. Yeah. That's a movie I would watch the hell out of. I, I would recommend it. Then you, you will like you will like his character. I think. Have you I ever seen Jesus think... Christ Vampire Slayer? No. Oh my god, it's a beautiful film. <laughs> it's not great, but it's a beautiful film. All right. All right. Well, Jonathan, if I, if I find uh, Dracula two streaming, maybe it'll be streaming somewhere by next month. I will uh, I will point it out to you. It's been on Netflix before; both of them have, so we'll see. I, I assumed it would be on Amazon. That seems like the perfect thing for Amazon. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm actually genuinely surprised that the whole series isn't on Amazon yeah. because that is, in fact, the truck stop DVD bin of the internet. All right, so I I've tried watching the thirty one Dracula a couple times in my life, and I I fall asleep during it because it's not. All that the good, silent uh, film, modern the OG one? No, no, it's not silent, but yeah, the OG one. It's not silent. They, they they do speak. Although there was a silent print, I found out. So maybe you have seen it that way. My wife, we were talking about Dracula and how I know everything about Dracula because I've I've gone. This is the Bela Lugosi one, right? Correct. Oh, okay. And so and so she's like, you know, if you want to watch some Dracula films for your Dracula scholarship, I'd be down. And I'm like, oh, woman, you should not have said that out loud because here we go. So I sat down and watched the original Dracula with her. And then, I don't know if you know this, but at the time, uh, Universal Studios was really into the notion of, ma- of getting into that foreign language market, getting those foreign bucks in. And so what they did was they hired George Medford to come in at night after they had done whatever they were going to do on the sets with Lugosi and all of them during the day. And they filmed simultaneously um, uh, a Mexican version for the Mexican market of Dracula with different actors – Uh, but using a lot of the same props and the exact same sets. And uh, I got to say, watching both movies back-to-back was really interesting. This is the one with Carlos Villarías? Yes. Yes, Yes, I too have seen this film. Uh, Overall, uh, Bella Lugosi and Renfield are better from the English one. Like, Lugosi, Lugosi is just, he he did it better. I mean, there's a reason that that man was is hailed as, as a genius for this film alone. And the guy they got to play Renfield, he, he, apparently he hated that role cause he got typecast as uh, as crazy people for the rest of his life, which I could see <laughs> cause he did it really good. Um, but the Mexican version was way better. Um, it's about 30 to 40 minutes longer. And some of that is them lingering on shots. They do not need to linger on at all, but they do address some of the plot holes in it because like, uh, in that version, Lucy, like the Lucy character kind of dies off screen and, and they don't do the subplot about her being a vampire and they at least add that in and they try to hand wave a few things and they restage quite a few scenes to be in different places at different times. And it just it, overall, like they, they obviously were using, I mean, they, they said they straight up would watch what they filmed during the day and then just sort of like decide how to redo it better. So they, they kind of had, they were like, you know, they, they used the first film as like an alpha or beta test and they, they did this, the second version much better. I actually liked it a lot more. So yeah, you know, that was interesting. Uh, you can find that for free on Tubi right now if you're interested in that. 
Have you ever seen the uh, the film with the alternate soundtrack? No, the 98 one? No, I have not. Okay, so A, it's by my favorite composer, Philip Glass, who I've, I've sent you some of his music before, and then you accuse me of listening to strange things, which I'm not denying. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat with that music. It's just, it's a very different vibe. It's a very, very different vibe. I bet you'll have a library. I'll see what I can do. It, it's very um, polarizing. I'll, I'll, I'll warn you. Uh, I think... It's interesting. Uh, it's a very different take. It's less horror and more seduction. To me, that works. But a, a lot of people complained. You don't. You don't. You don't have to. I'll give it a go. It's not like there was much of a soundtrack in the first one to begin with, so it doesn't matter. True. All right. So I sent you a picture via the Discord. Uh, that is two of the fine actors, uh, Dracula and the guy who played Van Helsing in the uh, the Mexican version. And the thing that was throwing me off for the entirety of it was. Uh, Gina pointed out that the guy who played Dracula kind of looks like Michael Scott from The Office. Oh, my God. And the, guy who, and the other guy looks like Mandy Patinkin. No, I was going to go with uh, Eugene Levy. Oh, that, equally as good. But he's got like a Mandy Patinkin nose. That's true. That's true. But the the mouth and kind of the eyes. Not the eyebrows, though. Uh, Eugene Levy has eyebrows. That oh, no, no. Those are definitely face. Eugene Levy eyebrows, without a doubt. I, I once I saw that I couldn't unsee it, <laughs> and it was it was very amusing. Yeah, I don't think I can either. Now, especially the Michael <laughs> Scott thing with that particular picture. That I mean, yeah, I'm almost yeah. half expecting him to yell out parkour. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Parkour, parkour, parkour. All right, I'll save my other two for after you're done with yours. What do you watch? Uh, I too watched a vampire movie. I. Um, it, couple of the kids wanted to watch a horror film that was a little edgier, so I let them watch Fright Night, and I sat down and watched it with them. And, uh, yeah, I, we watched Which version, the, the remake or the... The, uh, the remake. The, the we watched the remake. Um, oh, yeah, you know what? I wonder if... I've been, I've been having the same thing with Eowyn. She wants to watch... Because she's, you know, almost 11 now. She wants to watch, you know, harder stuff. But I yeah. don't want to, like... I don't want to watch, like, Nightmare Fuel stuff. Like, it's one of not the movies Nightmare I watched. Fuel. Holy Christ. The, no, the, I saw it. I saw that in the theaters. The most objectionable the thing there is that there's a lot of jokes about sexy time, and I think there's a girl's butt, but in panties. Like I think it's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, I, maybe I'll watch it again if I can find it and see. Uh, I think uh, it was on I, Amazon. Um, okay, and I really, okay. I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's got a good blend of funny and serious. Like it's it's a really well tuned film. Like I saw, I saw the original. I like the original, but the original was kind of ahead of its time because it doesn't quite know how to be a horror comedy. Yeah, um, well, the, the original came out before horror comedies were a thing, and it it was trying to find its way to that, but it never quite got there. Uh, it, it deserved the remake that it got. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. Speaking of horror comedies, I did watch Lost Boys, but we watched that so long ago, I, I didn't want to bring it up. But the girl liked that. Okay, I really like Lost Boys. I know a big chunk of it is nostalgia for me because when I go back and watch it, I'm like, oh, there's some things here that just aren't working, but I do love it. I, I think they, I think, I, I don't think without that movie, we'd have like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and some of the other horror comedies that we got later on down the line. You are I think, 100% accurate there. I think that's the first movie that kind of hit the nail on the head about how to get the right tone. So maybe not perfectly, but good enough that people were able to see what it, what you could do where with fright night, it was still kind of floundering the original flight fright night. I should say, uh, like I said, it just, it predates the genre that it was trying to be and, yeah, agreed. and it suffers for it. And the, the remake knows exactly what it wants to be and it nails it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's cool. So how, how did the kids like it? 
the kids loved it. They all had a really good time. Uh, they were thanking me profusely for uh, picking it because uh, this was Lincoln's first like legit horror movie, and he's ten. Yeah, he was really into it. Uh, he wasn't too freaked out. Chloe really, really enjoyed it. She's my 13-year-old. Uh, it was definitely perfectly placed for her. And even Carlos, my 15-year-old cynic who hates everything right now because apparently that's what you do when you're a teenager, unless it's really, really crappy music. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had to get that dig in there. I had to get that dig Oh, in Jonathan, there. you know what? I, I, I know I'm I part fi- of the problem. <laughs> I, I find... Uh my daughter does that too. She listens to this music. That's oh, awful. And, and I, hell? I mean like legitimately, I, you, you know what I love about it? You know what I love about it? I legitimately, when I was younger thought to myself, there's no way kids could find, we've got techno and gangster rap and all this stuff. There's no way they could find music. I hate. And then my daughter does it. And there's something beautiful in that. There's something like the, the angst and hurt it causes at me. I kind of enjoy because I didn't think it was possible. And yet here we are. Y- you know what my big issue is more than any other thing. When I grew up, it was late 80s, early 90s hip-hop. And late 80s, early 90s hip-hop, say what you will, it had a message that it was trying to impart, okay? Like, I listened to Public Enemy, and Chuck D educated me on what the world was like uh, for him. I listened to, you know, NWA, and got to hear about their slice of life. And them talking about how unfair it is that the way the police uh, were treating them, and stuff like that. And... When I listen to my son's crap-ass hip-hop, it's just, they're not talking about anything. It's like just they're, like they're, they're talking to hear themselves talk. Or, you know what? They're, they're talking to hear themselves auto-tune. Like, there's no message. There's no social commentary. There's no redeeming quality it, it, unless you want to, you know, discuss. That's the beauty man. That's the beauty. You hate it. You hate it. And that's, that's what makes it special. It doesn't even sound good. Like, it, it's just crappy hip-hop okay boomer <laughs> oh how dare you how <laughs> dare you you know who my favorite angsty teenager is uh it was one of ray's angsty teenagers that i met where he was playing like he was playing like uh, alternative and like you know music from my teenage years and I, and I was like oh wow you like you like you're, you're listening to a lot of the music i like he's like yeah music sucks these days and i'm like oh oh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of me wants to go, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And the other half of me wants to go, what the hell do you even know? <laughs> I don't know which I don't, st- which side of the coin I'm going to flop on right now. Because I'm sure part of it is just being a contrarian teenager. And I, 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 I'm, I'm not at all. I'm not at all under the illusion. It's not. So, but you know what? He's he likes the good stuff, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> he can be cynical about music from my youth. I like that. <laughs> that's That's how it's supposed to be. That's what alternative was good for. And Ray, I apologize. I can't remember which of your children it was. I, I, I'm terrible with names and I feel really bad about it. And I love you. And I'm sorry. I feel like I should play the more you know so, uh, uh, sound effect right now. Na, 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 na. What's the band that is in Crazy Taxi? Offspring. Offspring. God, I couldn't think of the damn name. I was having this conversation with Jessica the other day. And I was like, you know, I was listening to Amazon the other day and I was just listening to a 90s playlist and some Offspring came up. And I was like, yeah, I, this this takes me back to the late 90s and early 2000s. This makes me happy. And then I started listening to it. And I'm like, Fuck, this is really. <laughs> what were we all thinking? And then I played some crazy taxi and I got right back into it. I'd stumbled onto a video on YouTube, which was like the top 10 songs, probably about Courtney Love. 
And uh, that was a fun that was a fun listen. I went and made a playlist out of it. <laughs> All right. The only the only other thing that I've been watching lately is just keeping up to date with the F one season. I'm waking up way too early or staying up way too late on the weekends, and man, do I feel afterwards. But oh. Oh, the racing has just been so good this season. Nice. And I'm not talking about the title fight, because the title fight really was over in June. Like, it's been so dominant, it's not even funny. But just, like, these new cars, the they're able to run close to each other, and it just makes it exciting. Like, there's all these really super close battles, and it makes it feel like the 80s again in, in all the right ways, uh, because the, the cars are super competitive and dicey with each other, and it's fun. It's just fun to watch. And this, this year's there's a time when all the drivers start to move around and contracts get made and it's called silly season. Uh, and this silly season has just been bananas. People getting paid 21 million plus out of a contract and people jumping teams and, Oh, just, Oh, all this sublime drama. It's so good. Nice. Yeah. You talked about that. It's still going. Oh yeah. No, season's over in, uh, almost, almost December. Hmm. I think the last race is the weekend before Thanksgiving. They're, they're doing Fair. 22 races this season, 24 next season. And then the moment the season's over, that's when, you know, off season begins and there's all the speculation and run up going up to winter testing and then winter testing happens and there's all the speculation and run up going up to the season and the season starts off. I mean, it's a, it's a full year. It's a year round thing. It's just been so good the last <laughs> couple of years. Uh, because we're, wa- it's, it is the season, been watching some spooky movies with the daughter. Uh, we watched killer clowns from outer space. I really do uh, want to watch that oh, as an so adult. Bad. Oh, it's so bad, but it's so good. Because it's like, I almost have to conquer some fear from my childhood. Cause that movie messed me- with me as a kid. That's funny. It, it is a parody, Jonathan. Like it is a hardcore horror parody. Um, and it is supposed to be bad and stupid. And I, I love every second of it. The, yeah, the people who directed it. Freaking creepies all get out, man. Well, the, they, they did. It was a special effects house. Like it was there. There's movie. a game. Yeah, there's a game coming out. Yeah, it's not out yet. It's made by the people who did Friday the 13th. What? Yeah, I think they've been trying to get a sequel off the ground forever. And I think something almost happened because there's also like killer clown stuff at like Spirit Halloween. So, like, there's all this licensing, like, a movie's coming out, but then a movie's not coming out. So, it's funny. Man, I can't believe I was 11 when I watched it. Because I really, re- it's just, this movie messed with me, man. I think like, it's you just should, the clowns. You should rewatch it as an adult. It's, uh, it, it was it was interesting watching my daughter watch it. Because she, as it was going on, she th- she's gotten really kind of, kind of Wednesday Adams morbid in her, in her teen years. And so when the clowns were up to their deathly deadly shenanigans, she's like, Oh, they're so cute. And they're killing people. That's so awesome. It's weird. And I'm like, you're, you're a strange child, but I love you. And, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what, she really, who's streaming it? Uh, I actually own the DVD, sir. So that's what we watch. Nobody's streaming it right now. As far as I know. Oh, that's just a pity in and of itself. Are you sure Amazon's not streaming it? <laughs> Oh, Paramount Plus. Oh, Paramount Plus has it? Oh, oh with, with a premium subscription. Who's the premium subscriber? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Baby oh, it's Showtime. Showtime has it right now. That's why. There Ooh, you go, yeah. Um, but it's, it's on Pluto TV Wolf with ads. Snow Hollow. Not what I'm talking about. I know. And, I, I just, and then, I'm looking for killer clowns from outer space. And then speaking of movies I will never, ever show my daughter anytime soon, I watched the Hellraiser remake that came out the other day. 
I heard it wasn't great. Oh my god. That movie Jonathan got under my skin. <laughs> like holy crap. It really it really bothered I had I had I'm a 40 odd year old man and I legit had a nightmare about it. <laughs> uh, like my my buddy texted me and he said complete remake that ignores all of the lore that was built before it and has no real plot. Dude, have you seen the last two Hellraiser movies? Uh, It's kind of unsalvageable at this point. Uh, I really, really like Hellraiser 1 and 2. They're probably my favorite movies. I've seen all of them, and they're garbage after that for the most part. There's there's moments in 3 and 4, because I love Hellraiser in space, even though it's it's not good. It's very bad. But all of the subsequent sequels... uh, How about this? This new Hellraiser is beyond 1 and 2. It's probably the best sequel out of all of them. It's not particularly great. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh my God, this, this, it'll blow your mind. It's not that kind of horror movie, but for what it is, uh, I, I did enjoy it. It has some pretty bad problems with the acting. Like everybody, it, it, it's like, it's like they all have, it smells like Nirvana or something. And they're all gargling marbles in their mouth while they're trying to deliver dialogue. In some cases, it's like, come on, just enunciate you jerks. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a sequel. It's a reboot. Basically it, it. I want to go back and read the Hellbound Heart, which is the movie that Hellraiser was originally based on, because I've I've heard they pulled a lot more stuff out of that, um, especially when it comes to the Cenobites, than what became of the of the subsequent ones. But yeah, it is not a continuation of that story, and good because the last two Hellraiser sequels uh, that were made basically to keep the rights and were made with like you know pocket change and gum, like. They're they're just awful and dead or whatever. The actually the last four sequels kind of have just trashed the franchise as it is. You know, like people are bitching that they it's like oh they cast somebody else's pinhead. It's like they already did that. There's been two movies without Doug Bradley as pinhead. Like, are you not paying attention? Seriously, like all these all these jerks on the internet they're just screaming about it. It's like dude, just like let it go. Like the 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 series. There's a reason there hasn't been a new Hellraiser movie. I think in like ten. When did the last one come out? Now I need to know. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long freaking time. It is its own thing. It's very separate. So don't go into it expecting a continuation of that. Uh, 2018, actually, Hellraiser Judgment. And then 2011 was Hellraiser Revelations. I don't think I ever saw Judgment. I saw Revelations. It was awful. Oh my I don't know. God. I, I, didn't I really like it. realize it gotten that deep. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And people are complaining that it's different. There's it's 10. like, it's a bit- decology. Yeah, yeah. This is the 11th. Hellraiser movie. Well, yeah, but you said it's a reboot. It is. It's a reboot. It's very much its own thing. What I I really want the fandom to do is the the lady who is playing, um, for lack of a better term, Pinhead in this movie. I do not think we should call her Pinhead because I really like Doug Bradley. It's Doug Bradley who played it in the first one, right? Uh, yeah, or, I think so. Or in the first, yeah. I really like him, and he did he did a fantastic job. And like the character that has pins in her face in this is not Pinhead, like. You know, it's it's a very, very separate character. So I'm going to go, damn it, with what Clive Barker did um, and uh, refer to her as the Hell Priest because it's, 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 it's a different thing. And I don't think we should compare the two because the characters are really different and really freaking creepy. Like that, that movie legit got under my skin. It was really, really, really... Ugh. And, and people are wrong. Like, and yes, it, it abandons the previous stuff, but you know what? Like, I bet your buddy hasn't seen the last two movies. He's like, Oh, they replaced Doug Bradley. It's like, yeah, it's like they replaced Doug Bradley back in 2011, man. Do you know what? It's been 11 years as a kid, just kind of Hmm. from the same time period, the ghoulies. (laughs) 
<laughs> you get that a parody too, right? Yeah, I know, man. But like, I didn't know that when I was a kid, man. Ghoulies came out in 85. So I was like eight. I mean, like, right, right. this goes on the very long list of things I should not have been watching as a child that my parents allowed me to watch. So make no mistake. I really do blame my parents. All right. All right. Jonathan, Jonathan. Okay, so knowing now what I told you, but we, we we will not call that new character Pinhead. She can be the Hell Priest. It's it's fine. That's what Pinhead was in the original novel anyway. And in fact, in fact, Clay Barker wrote a sequel novel uh, about the guy from Lord of Illusions and and Pinhead having basically a battle. And uh, yeah, Pinhead hated being called Pinhead. He wanted to be the Hell Priest. He he thought that name was stupid. So there you go. We'll call her the Hell Priest. So no, knowing what you know now about this movie, it is a reboot. It is not the same character. It's the Hell Priest. We'll call her something completely different. Go watch it. Go watch it. It's it's not bad. It's not great. It's not great. But it genuinely had a, a few moments where I it, it well it definitely got under my skin. I legitimately had a nightmare about it. All right, <laughs> the, all right. The I'll other go, night, I'll go check it out. And that's right. it for me. All what right, you want to move on. Uh, to? Let's get board games. All right, a lot of familiar names on here for me. Welcome to in Jaipur. Uh, actually, I got the chance to play uh, Jaipur online with Brendan. Oh, nice. And we had a good time, I think. Well, I, I had a good time. Uh, he was picking it up quick. Uh, and then he's now introducing me to a game called Targi um, that I'm trying to get all figured out. Um, it's uh, interesting, like a resource management type game. But it's interesting the way you handle the board. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I cannot wait to really kind of dive in and get to know the rules a bit better. And then the only other thing I've been playing is Dune House Secrets, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, so I'm not going to say any more. All right. Uh, the only thing I got to add to that list is I'm still playing Interventions, and I hate, hate, hate playing that on the format we're playing it with because it's happened. It's happened twice, twice in the game I've been playing where I don't realize it's not my turn, and I'm actually just handing a card to somebody. I'm like, oh, I want to play this card. This will help me win the game, and I hand a good card to somebody. I'm like, God damn it! So yeah, some twice. games just work better than others uh, in the okay. asymmetrical form. Well, and honestly, if we were playing it live, I would have caught that. But I, it's just, you know, I, I forget to check and it pisses me off. And it probably looks bad because I'm probably handing cards to Gina. Like, like I'm intentionally trying to get, let her win. And uh, that is far from the truth. I'm actually very – because I, I, I can't win at this point. I'm like so boned. <laughs> so, I'm really annoyed by that. Uh, all right. Let's talk about books. Um, I finished Before They Are Hanged, which is the second book in the um – first law trilogy that ray turned me on to uh much like the first one is very interesting uh actually very similar to what what you've mentioned with with stephen king where the first half of the book is really just setting up those dominoes and then when when you hit the, the midpoint of the book you can almost like feel the finger tipping the first domino and then the whole thing just starts collapsing and it's really it's really fun that way um both of these books uh, in this trilogy that I've, I've finished now, like the, the the second half is just this rampant acceleration where it just you feel like you're heading right towards a wall and it just keeps getting faster, 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 and then smack, you get to the end of the book. It's really fun. Nice. I think you'd like these books. Uh, I would recommend them. I think they would be up your alley as well. Um, and then um, because I needed uh, a break from fantasy, I decided to... Um, I had this little little kind of desire for wizard stuff because of uh, reading that that first uh, Convergence book, and so I whipped out my copy of Stormfront, the uh, Jim Butcher book, which is the first uh, Harry Dresden book, and I'm I'm currently reading that. 
reading, nice. I should say, because I love me some Dresden. My, I started reading the second of that sort of revamped, revamped, yeah, uh, Dracula novel uh, called The Fortress of Blood. But I did not get too far because a book came in from the library. It's called uh, Slaying the Dragon, The Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons. And it's written by a guy whose podcast I listen to named Ben Riggs. It's about what it says on the cover. Uh, basically, he set out to he set out to write a couple articles uh, for Nerdist about why TSR got sold to Wizards of the Coast, and it turned into a novel, which was interesting. Um, a lot of it you and I have read before because a lot of the early part of the book is, of course, Gary Gygax, and we read that autobiography of Gary Gygax. So it's it's a lot of that is the crash course. What I liked about it is I knew a lot of these stories about TSR uh, in general. But it was nice having it all sort of collated and laid out in chronological order. Uh, so, you you know, you could sort of see it unfold, you know, as it presumably happened or close to it, which was kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a book on the sale of TSR to uh, Wizard of the Coast. And, uh, yeah, following that guy's podcast and stuff, too, I, I there was very little that was new to me because <laughs> he he does regular stuff at Gen Con talking about elements of this and and whatnot. Although reading it, it occurred to me, uh, Flint Dilly, you remember him from the, uh, the TSR stuff or the Gary Gygax book? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I need to track down autobiography or a biography of that guy. That guy sounds like he's had a weird, uh, an interesting life. Cause like, if you look at what he's done, um, and what all the stuff he's worked on, it's like our entire childhood. I mean, straight up, at least he claims the character of Flint from G.I. Joe is named after him. So there you go. I mean, he was all over that stuff. But yeah, overall, it was a good book. I had a good time. If you're remotely interested in the history of nerdity, feel free. There's certainly worse things you could do with your time. I That's am, it. Uh, I'm adding it to my list right now. You called, uh, You said it's called Slaying the Dragon? Slaying the Dragon. It's written a little weird. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. We'll talk about when you read it. Maybe you can put a finger on it better than I can. Anyway, that's it. What do you want to move on to? Certainly not RPGs, because gosh dang, man, getting four, no four adults at a right table, getting four adults at the table is just this is just, just hell. This time of the year. Yeah, we said that over the summer when we barely played. <laughs> uh, even the summer is easier than this. Uh, I think all we got left is video games. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, so now we're going to shift gears and let's go talk about some video games. I've not had a lot of opportunity to play. It looks like you've had a little bit more than me, so you go first and then I'll fill in the gaps. All right, uh, City Skylines came out with a new expansion and I played it and it's weird. I found out that when they make expansions to the game, they don't necessarily test them with the other expansions. They only test it with the base game. And so this uh, expansion kind of makes sense because you never know what yeah. people are going to choose. Right, right. But because of that, if you have all the DLC, like say I do, it interacts with all of them in a very strange way. Because sometimes, so that what this one did is it put in pedestrian zones, so you can basically put in streets that cars aren't allowed on, but people can walk down. Like that's its main feature, which sounds kind of dumb, I'll admit, but it's fun. It 
you know, because you can put in things like, you know, city walks and mall. I don't know. Whatever. I, I, I've been having a good time with it, although it's kind of – it is one of their weaker expansions. But, like, the thing about it is, like, if you combine it with the campus DLC where you can make colleges, some of the campus buildings can be on those walking roads and some of them just can't. And there doesn't seem to be a, a logic to it. It's just probably flagging issues. But it's very, very weird. And there's also ways you can get around it because people have been learning how to game the system. And that's the weird part. So some of the college buildings can be built along paths, but they can't be built on roads where people walk. You have to use this path nonsense to get them to – it's just really strange. Anyway, which is a little upsetting because walking paths would be perfect for college and you can't do that, which is kind of annoying. Um, But yeah, I did a city like that and uh, I had fun. And then I rented – I've been feeling – I've wanted something a little bit more action lately. Like I – the, the Zelda Tears of the Kingdom trailer came out, and I'm like, oh, man, I really want to play that. Like, I want a game like that. So I've been kind of searching for a game like that. And I found out about a game that came out in 2017 called... Was it 2017? I don't know, whatever. It was called The Pathless. Um, it was a little indie game. And uh, you play this lady called The Hunter, and you have a bow, and you run around, and there aren't really enemies. Like, there's just these zones, and you're bringing back the light, And then occasionally you have a boss battle with a big giant boss. And as I was playing it, both my wife and my buddy said, this game kind of reminds me of Shadow of the Colossus. And I had actually never, ever played that game. So, but I got it for free for the PlayStation. I'm like, you know what? I I want more of this. And I I had a good time with the Pathless. So I've been playing Shadow of the Colossus. And I killed today the ninth one. The big turtle. Nice. Turtle. So I've been playing that. I've never played it before. So it's it's very fun. I like turtles. Yeah, I'm tracking down a stake. That's what the statue looks like. I have no idea. And I'm very proud of myself. Uh, I, I've only had to go to a walkthrough twice because I got so irritated. The turtle the turtle was a little weird. It did occur to me that the geysers meant something. I thought they were just there for show. But anyway, now I know. And I will do better next time. And that's it. I'm done. I have nothing else to add to this conversation. Yeah, I can't say that I've got a ton. I've played basically two games in the last like month. Um, I played a little bit more Lego Star Wars and chipped away at that a bit. Man, that game is huge. That's the new Lego Star Wars, not the old one. Uh, right, right, right. But super awesome. Like I really, really enjoy the way they've kind of modernized it and made it a bit more. I don't know, less less two uh, D with no control of the camera, and now it's a completely three D game, and that really makes a big difference in searching around and really getting into uh, the immersion mm-hmm. aspect of it. Uh, it also makes it feel less like the background and the foreground are, are not connected, right? Like I, that's how we always felt playing those old games. Like there was a disconnect between the background and the foreground. Uh, the other thing that I've been playing is uh, Valkyrie Elysium came out, and I'm having a fun time with that. It's an action RPG from Square Enix, and it's got it's a really good-looking look to it, and it's so far it's it's been very enjoyable. I'm having a good time with it. It's a really neat combat system. And that's all I'll have I got. to check that out. I'll, I'll have to check that out. I'm having a good time. Like uh, it, it, the the Valkyrie line of games, I think it was what. Valkyrie Profile was the first back in the late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there. I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if I've ever played anybody in the series, to be honest with you. Or any game in the series, I should say. It's not perfect, but I'm having a good time with it. I really like the universe. Chloe really got into into it watching with me, too. (laughs) Cool. Uh, And that is it. Is that it? That's it. 
All right. Well, in that case, it is break time. And when we return from our break, it will be time for our Wisdom of Crowds segment and, of course, our King in All Things segment. So we will see you in just a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And now it's time for Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. We're going to lead off with the uh, the big, awesome story. Friend of the show, Brendan Riley, his company, XYZ Games, uh, they are currently on the new backer kit crowdfunding platform backing arch rivals Magic Socks, the first expansion for our award-winning fiber arts game, Arch Rivals, new adorable theme packs, and mini expansions. It's on the backer kit right now, and it is funded with 21 days left, so by the time this comes out, it'll be like, 13 14 something like that and uh yes and And it keeps your toes toasty yeah yeah and it's awesome you scroll down on that on that backer kit and you get to see brendan's fine mug among all the people who worked on it it's very very cool so there you go i also see that he's been doing a lot of tiktoks lately so if you ever want to get the inside line on uh his thought process there you go he's had a a really fun series about uh, uh things on his shelf He's been kind of egging me a little bit to fire up a Forgot My Dice TikTok. I just don't know what I'd talk about because I, I think I'm the only person that wants to hear me rant about Dracula, to be honest with you. So I don't know what else I'd say. That's Oh, man. No way. I disagree. I think you're going to find a welcome, uh, a welcome audience on that internet. <laughs> those interwebs, those tubes. It's a system of tubes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I sent my staff an internet. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, like that imposter syndrome thing. So I'm I'm on like the Dracula subreddit and whenever people pop up with questions or, you know, just things they're talking about, like I can talk fairly authoritatively on a wide variety of Dracula related things. And I'm like, oh, my God, did I like read myself into like a like like Dracula scholarship? Like (laughs) and and I can tell you how bad how bad my love for Dracula has gotten. So I follow Dracula on Apple News, right? And yeah, and this random story posted about this lady who was in Whitby doing Dracula stuff. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. I'd like to go do that someday. It's probably like spam museum fun where it's a better story than an actual experience. But whatever. And um, and the story mentioned that she was writing her doctorate thesis on Dracula. And so I actually emailed her and asked her if I could read it. (laughs) And she sent it to me. (laughs) I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, 
You know, you probably made her day, right? Well, uh, yeah, I know that. I, I remember reading or listening to something where pe- people who are just interested in your stuff are, you know, it's it's welcome and they'll happily give it to you. I, I, uh, I'm about 30 odd pages into it right now. Um, she's been citing a lot of stuff, which has been a little annoying because I'm like, I'm kind of fishing for new things to read and uh, everything she's, a lot of the stuff that sounded interesting is just uh, uh, like, papers about other things where Dracula gets mentioned, like, you know, like news articles and stuff. And I, I was looking for something a little bit meatier and more directly about it. But uh, my favorite part so far is she's talked about uh, the various interpretations of Dracula by people. And uh, one of them was a guy who made the case that it was a, 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 it was anti-capitalist messaging, that Dracula represented dead old capital that rises up and tries to buy its way into the new country. Look, I'm not going to say that I am uh, an expert in any stretch of the imagination, but I got to tell you, that feels like a Stretch Armstrong argument. You know what? We can we can get into the whole philosophy of this because this is not the segment for it, and I apologize. But um, uh, I was thinking to myself, I think one of the reasons Dracula's endured is because Dracula is a villain, much like the Cthulhu mythos and, and other good horror staples, is vague and ill-defined and unknowable and when something is unknowable you plug all your nonsense into it and thus it remains oh, relevant that, that, that's what makes the best horror and that's what makes the best villains it's it's when your own brain is is filling in the gaps i mean that is of course what alfred hitchcock i mean he basically staked his career on it. right right and one of the most famous examples of that is in psycho if you break down that scene the knife never actually touches the girl ever yeah. Not a single shot shows the knife make contact with the skin. Instead, everything is occurring off screen, and that is one of the most effective tools that anybody in the horror industry can use because then your brain is is busy filling in all the gaps, and it fills in the gaps in the most nightmarish way, you know, to you. Mm-hmm. And and that's what makes good horror sing is when, when you're filling in all the, the terrible things with your own personal, you know, book of horrors. Exactly, exactly. So, anyway, so... On that note, I, I think the uh, the raw communist socialist interpretation of Dracula is perfectly valid. It's fun. I like it. Uh, All right. I'll see you there. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well played. Well played. Yeah. Dracula scholarship. Woo! That's that's me. Anyway, sorry, Brendan. Sorry to go on that tangent. Go check out uh, his expansion on the Becker kit. And I'm happy, happy that Becker kit crowdfunding exists. I love it because... Kickstarter is like, we're going to do Web3. And I'm like, if that happens, I'm not going to support you anymore. And Backer Kit's like, we're not going to do that. I'm like, thank you, Backer Kit. That was a good play right there. <laughs> a lot of people have jumped to it. I wonder if they're offering good deals. Because I know uh, Monty Cook Games has, uh, has something running on it. And a bunch of other people do right now, too. I've been seeing a ton of it. All right. Well, do you remember a game from days on past called HeroScape? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, they even did some licensed characters. It was a big. Um, you basically build uh, the world out of out of these stackable tiles, and you can make the worlds be all kinds of different things. There's rules for for um, variations on terrain, and um, you know who has the high ground, etc. <laughs> the high ground, poor Vader. Um, well, anyway. Hasbro put this game out quite a long time ago, and now Heroescape Age of Annihilation has been placed on Hasbro Pulse, and it closes out on November 15th. It's, uh, it was originally published way back in 2004 with its hex-based terrain and, and all the, the cool, awesome armies that you could make. 
Um, people still routinely search for Her- HeroScape stuff. Uh, both the, the hex-based terrain and the characters are all highly coveted. And now, backers are going to be receiving 70-plus miniatures, cards describing all their abilities, all that fun module terrain, including ruins, walls, trees, uh, the ability to construct those multi-level battlefields, and everything is going to be dyed to your respective faction's color. Uh, it is, of course, designed by Craig Van Ness, and Heroescape Age of Annihilation is up now for the low, low price of $249.99. Well, that's why it's on the Hasbro Pulse. You're getting that premium premium packaging. Yeah, but I mean, Heroescape is a dope game, like a super dope game. So I, I get it. I get the cost being that high. Um, it used to be that uh, everything was pre-painted and stuff like that. So I'm sure this is the same way. Let's go take a look. Yeah, it's just on it's on the front page of HasbroPulse.com. It's really easy to find. So 36 days, three hours and 22 minutes left. By the time this comes out, it will be actually 29 days, but that's neither here nor there. They're targeting 8,000 backers. They've got roughly a quarter of what they need. So yeah, 71 finely detailed miniatures, 50 army cards, 74 base pieces and 68 pieces of wall terrain, nine jungle pieces. Um, this looks really awesome, Like. I might have to go sell a kidney and get in on this. Why don't you just sell a, a, a one of your uh, bookcase cubes full of something and just do that? I mean, it's not outside of the realm of necessary. feels like a kidney might be easier these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. All right. This is short and sweet. Brotherwise Games, who are currently, I think it might be done. I'm not sure if it's done. They are doing a Kickstarter for miniatures based off of Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight stuff. Uh, they accidentally let it slip during a stream, but they are currently working on an RPG set in the same universe, and it will be coming soon. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they were. They, it was kind of an accident from the sound of things, or maybe meant to. I don't know. I didn't watch a stream. I just read a news article about it. But if you're into that, and I love world building, so I am. Uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Uh, they have not said much, but. Uh, we don't even know if it'll be Kickstarter. I'm assuming it'll be Kickstarter. Everything else they've done has. So that's what I'd assume. So keep an eye out for that soon, TM. Teased way back in 2021 by Richard Garfield, we are finally getting the tr- the third edition in a new trilogy that brings King of Tokyo and King of New York together with King of Monster Island. He uses a lot of the mechanics from the other King of games. Um, you're going to be correct- collecting all your dice faces. That's how you're going to deal damage. That's how you're going to heal yourself, all that fun stuff. But the monster that lives on this island, uh, he actually lives in the volcano of the island, will also get to act. And you basically drop your dice into the volcano in order to determine what actions the boss will take, which is kind of cool. Think of, uh, think of it like the, the pyramid from uh, Camel Up. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, there's um, up to six, uh, or pardon me, there's uh, three different bosses that you can set up um, with a total of six different difficulty levels per boss. Uh, so you get a total of uh, 18 different combinations that can uh, freshen the game up. You can use all of your monster boards and monsters from all of the other King of games, uh, but the game does use some different dice, so you'll, we wanted to use the dice out of that box. So there you go. It is expected um, to be available at Eschenspiel and uh, at the Nuremberg Toy Fair and, of course, stores everywhere in the reasonably near future. No exact date given. 
Jonathan, I know you're a fan of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon from way, way back. The long, long ago. I got that DVD box set. Well, the characters are coming back in an action figure line soon. I, have, I don't know how soon. I haven't read this in a while, but... Oh, I need those for my desk at work. Diana the Acrobat, Hank the Ranger, Bobby the Barbarian with Uni the Unicorn, and a double uh, a double pack with the Dungeon Master and Venger are coming soon in shiny, shiny toyetic plastic for your desk or playing or whatever, or collecting of dust on the shelf if you're going to keep it in the box. But you should you should take it out. Toys deserve to be played with. That's awesome. I'm excited. All right. Well, guess what? We're taking some dice to Mars this time because Terraforming Mars is getting a dice game variant. Terraforming Mars, the dice game, uh, is coming uh, in a reasonably near future. Uh, They're expecting it to hit stores in July of 2023. One to four players, uh, lasting about 45 minutes. Um, And it's basically a dice version of Terraforming Mars. Like the same thing, you're, you're building a colony and all that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Ares Expedition was kind of like a card variant of, of Terraforming Mars, which is, you know, basically a giant engine builder. And in this one, instead of cards, we are focusing on using dice. Uh, there are, of course, still cards involved. Um, it is not a roll and write game. That is an important distinction to make. Every player will get to play as a different corporation. Uh, and of course, each of those corporations will be asymmetric, having a different set of dice, and those dice will resolve your ability to produce resources and take certain actions. So that is the basics of the game. It looks awesome, and it's only thirty-five bucks. That's that's you could you could do far worse. Not gonna lie, I like terraforming Mars. It didn't entirely do it for me, but rolling dice with it actually, for some reason, that makes me feel better about it. <laughs> like I like I like that tactileness. That sounds like a lot more fun. I haven't talked about this overly much uh, in my youth, Jonathan. I was watching a video on this. You know, you were either, you know, like an action figure guy or you were into Legos. But if you're into Legos, it was like a lifestyle because Legos were probably the only thing you were into. And that was me. I was a Lego kid back in the day. And so my 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 childhood is colliding. They have announced for the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons coming in 2024. Uh, Lego has announced that they're going to do some D&D sets for the 50th anniversary, including one where they have a contest up currently on the Lego Ideas website for fan submissions to uh, kick in and build a set. Now, they haven't been entirely clear if they're going to build multiple sets or just one or if they're going to build like a line and then have a Lego Ideas set on top of that. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. However, just Lego stuff in D&D is very, very cool over on the Lego Ideas site. They've got a a rad dragon, a ton of beholders. Uh, Somebody was like, hey, you know those like dungeon tiles? Like build Lego versions of that so people can play with their Legos with D&D. And I'm like, that that would be fun. So yeah, no, it's quite cool. I am looking forward to where this goes. I am not looking forward to telling Gina we need to buy some of these. But I will have my old I am looking it up online right now. I could send you the link if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be dope. But at least I'll have my boy Miles on my side. The first beholder by a sorta okay builder. Nice, nice. Good name. Good name. I like that beholder the best out of all of them personally. They've also got uh James NC has done a big giant dragon, which I'm also quite fond of. Those are my two favorites currently. A lot of beholders and a lot of mimics. That seems to be what what the the fans are suggesting i get it the beholder is iconic but it's to me it's never been like the coolest thing the mimic however 
That just tickles me. I really like it. Oh, wow. That's really good. I like the Trogdor one. <laughs> Trogdor the Burninator. That's awesome. Dude, that, that mimic by Lego Penguin is really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. The Wizard Tower is dope, too. Yeah. Oh, have you have you never been to the Lego Ideas site? It's pretty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've supported a couple. Ah, nice. Me too. Oh, the tavern. Oh, what a great set a tavern would be. Yeah, I'm hoping they do more than just this. You know. Oh no 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 no! This is not nearly enough. Yeah. It would need to be like a big thing, like the Stranger Things house or something. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Well, what I'm more hoping for is I'm hoping we get kind of like an entire line, like when they did the Scooby Doo stuff. Like they had a big set, and then they had a bunch of like medium sets, and then they had a few small sets. Like they had a big haunted house, and they had like the Mystery Machine and some other stuff, and like other bigger play sets, and then they just had some figure packs and whatnot. And I'm hoping we get the whole shebang because. That would be fun. And if we got a beholder on top of getting, you know, other stuff, that would be that would be super rad. And like the medium play sets like write themselves because like you could have like the statue from the old Dungeon Master's Guide from first edition and stuff like, yeah, it'd be just Lego versions of a whole bunch of iconic art would be rad. But anyway, we will see. But I'm excited. Oh, my God. Go to the homepage and look at the London Underground set. (laughs) It's in the staff picks. Good God. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, everything's amazing in this. No, without a doubt. But that is, that is like, wow. Oh, yeah. That is nice. Anyway, Jonathan, regale us with the, your last story of a galaxy far, oh. far away. Hold on. I need to, I need to close this up because I'm going to get lost in there and then spend money. So, uh, Star Wars is getting a new game. We are getting actually a new pandemic system game in Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, you uh, and all the other players will play as Jedi uh, with some special abilities. Uh, I'm sh- assuming using the pandemic system that it will be all asymmetric. And you're going to travel the galaxy to battle the droid armies of the Separatists. Uh, you'll get to choose popular Jedi such as Obi-Wan, Mace Windu, Kenobi, uh, or pardon, I already said Obi-Wan, uh, Yoda, and more. There's going to be a-, a mixture of the the folks from the movies and the folks from the animated series like uh, Ahsoka Tano's in there and Luminara Undula is in there. So yeah, um, everything's going to be scenario-based uh, and will feature a main boss. Uh, Grievous, du- uh, Dooku, and Maul are all um, uh, confirmed to be in there. And all the character pieces will be custom minis, which is dope. And uh, yeah, you can pre-order it through Asmodee's website. Oh God, you sent me a Lego link. Um, you can pre-order it through Asmodee's website. Uh, it's designed by Alexander Ortloff, and it should be available in late 2022, early 2023. Nice. Let's see what you sent me here. Oh, damn it! That hasn't been built. It's even my team! That hasn't been built. That's just, it's it's in the queue. Oh, but whoever built this did an amazing job. Amazing job of what, Jonathan? You gotta, you gotta tell people. Okay, so it's a Red Bull Formula One car, specifically Max Verstappen's. Uh, you can see because it, it has the number one on it. And, yeah, I mean, it's a 2022 car. You can tell by the, the hubcaps and by the angle of the front wing and the angle of the rear wing. That This is really well done. <gasps> oh, my gosh. How much do you want to bet that that um, drag reduction system flap in the back wing works? It looks like it's actuated. <laughs> oh, this is really nice. This person did such a good job. 
I thought they've even got the 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 floor skirt separated from the air intake. Just needs a little bit more of a, a angle, but like you know, I know this person's building it from parts they have lying around. Oh, this is so good. Oh. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Oh, this needs to happen. Um, y- you know, they did a McLaren one earlier this year. I did not know that. Yeah, they did. <gasps> oh, but this is so much better because look, the, the headrest comes out and the, the nose cone detaches and you can even take the engine cover off. <gasps> oh, this needs to happen. <laughs> oh, that one's really good. Which, by the way, coincidentally, um, this last race uh, this weekend uh, crowned a new world, or well, I guess not a new world champion. It's the second, but yeah, we have uh, we have our, our champion, and he sealed the deal four races early. So there's still four races left in the season, and we already know who the champion is. All right, well that brings us to the end of the news, which means now it is time for part twenty in our forty three part series. Now it's forty three; used to be forty two, uh, because a new movie has been released. We may never finish this series, although we're making good headway. Yes, we are. Uh, this is part 20 in our our 43-part series, A King in All Things, where we're watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date, along with the occasional and uh, extra. And today we have a core film, the 18th film in the series. We are in the end of the 90s, 1998, with Apt Pupil. Directed by uh, Brian uh, yeah. Singer. Highly problematic, Brian Singer. And he did not escape this film uh, during the production of it. Apparently there's... No, lots of yeah. lots of gross y- in this one. Yeah, yeah, kind of made it weird to watch, you know. Yeah. Blah. Um, Unfortunately, I think we need to do what we did with um, uh, Kubrick and how he handled uh, Shelley Long. We will look at the film strictly on the basis of what works and what doesn't within the film... And we will fully acknowledge what a piece of detritus uh, Brian Singer is. And it was made for $14 million, and it made $8.5 million. So not a hit. Not shocked, personally, at all. Uh, I did not like this movie, Jonathan. Oh, you didn't? <clears throat> no, no. It was... It's disturbing. There's no aspect of this movie that doesn't get under your skin and start yeah. picking at the scabs. Yeah, it's... it's it, like, but but I think that's what it's meant to do. Yeah, but watching it in the modern day with you know stuff that happened on sixth of Januarys in places, it kind of just feels like a Proud Boys origin tale, and it's like, do I care? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm remembering that this was made in the nineties. Well, again, origin tale because they'd grow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, it's. I mean, where do we start with this? Oh, uh, it's pretty. It's. I mean. Let, let, let me let me let me break the ice here. Ian McKellen's a friggin' genius. Yeah, no doubt. He chews up every scene he's in. He chews it up. He spits it out. He puts down a masterclass of acting. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. from from side glances to body movement to the way he holds himself. I mean, every aspect of his performance is on point. It is, Mm -hmm. to me, an Oscar-worthy performance. And he is menacing. Oh, my God. McKellen is... I mean, he's a master at his craft. We all already knew that. Mm -hmm. This film uh, just just is a tour de force. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. He he holds this film. I'm not not saying there's anything bad about his performance. His performance in particular is quite good. And it's cute. David Schwimmer's in this movie, which was fun. 
Like, okay, so here's the problem I had with it. So the basic story is this kid gets really into the Holocaust for some reason, and he figures out that, like, a Nazi freaking war criminal played by Ian McKellen is hiding out in his town. And so he basically goes and blackmails the guy, and then they start blackmailing each other, and the kid's going to get thrown forces, out of school because he's him to tell him stories of, of, of yeah. how screwed up nazi germany was and all the terrible things that he did at concentration camp yeah yeah and i mean i'll I'll give it credit the guy the way mckellen plays him he seems regretful like he's not comfortable with it which i liked like don't get me wrong i liked ian mckellen's thing but the problem is mckellen seemed like to be the sympathetic character in the movie and i'm like i don't really feel all that comfortable sympathizing with this you know nazi actual factual nazi and the kid is just evil like he's evil incarnate (laughs) and it's uh it showing that Stephen King doesn't know how to end things well. In the book, it ends with uh, that kid going up and uh, shooting a bunch of people in his school and getting killed by the police. Ha! Ah, fun. This one ends on a little bit more of a sinister note, <laughs> but where the kid? I, I gotta say, I mean, like oh. King's ending is rather fitting for the character, regardless of how close that hits to home these days. Yeah, agreed. I don't know, man. I just. I mean that 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 is a that is a natural place for this character's mind to go. Yeah. No, I agree, but I'm just like, I I don't know. I didn't like it. Like, I couldn't sympathize with anybody. It was just two awful people doing awful things to each other for like, you know, 90 minutes or however long it was. I don't know. I, I just was like booing everybody. Like, I, I I wanted, you know, what happened to McKellen, I wanted it to happen. Like, he, you know, he... Oh, yeah. And then... I, I mean, like, look, th- this movie is designed to make your skin crawl. I agree. And, and I think that, that not having the sympathetic character there is is part of the horror I think the whole thing is meant to unsettle you, and and the fact that there's there's no respite is is an interesting conundrum, you know, as a viewer. I, I think that's one of the things that this movie does well. I mean, there's a there's a there's a whole lot to like here, e, e, more than more than just McKellen's performance. I mean, like the the movie is constructed very tautly. There's some really interesting camera work. I mean, it's really a pity that the auteur is kind of a I don't know what's what's the G-rated word I can use vile. Yeah, I'll go with file. Yeah, but um, I, I, I mean, just taken completely out of context, that the the movie is extremely well put together and extremely taut. The, there's one scene in particular that really unsettled me, and, and I think it it speaks to how powerful uh, that that type of mass hysteria can be. And in the film, spoiler alert. Uh, the the main character convinces uh, this former Nazi to put on a replica Nazi uniform and start marching. And at first he doesn't want to do it, and he's just doing it because he feels like he has to because he's trapped by the kid. And then, like, all the old instincts start to slide back in, and he feels like a young man again, and he starts marching with fervor, and my... God, is that scene unsettling? I I'm not going to disagree. I just I didn't like the movie all that much. I mean, nothing you've said is wrong. There, there's no, you're right. There is no character uh, to 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 really rally around. I I think that is the point. I no, I agree. It's just I I don't know. I'm just not a fan of movies like that. Like I don't know. I I exist in this world. I don't need to see awful people doing awful things to each other and getting away with it. Oh yeah. Like oh god, don't I know? Yeah. So. I don't know. So, okay, on the on the patented, not patented at all, King Tier list, where do you think this one lands? All right, looking at the King Tier list, we've got 19 movies on there currently. 
Oh, man, this is tough. Okay. I know where I'd put it. I know where I'm at. I, I feel like I feel like it's going to live with the dead zone. Uh, I think it lives with the dark half. <laughs> I said it before. I'll say it again. The dark half is my barometer. That was a very adequate movie. I will I will give you that it is more than adequate, but I I everything from 11 on up, I I would say watch all of those movies if they sound remotely interesting, but I I don't think I'd recommend watching Dead uh, the Dark Half or or this personally. That is where I land on I, it. I I'm thinking through this. I agree with what you're saying. I'm just questioning where whether to put it before or after the Dark Half. Uh, after, oh, after's out. fine. I, I feel like after's fine. After is perfectly fine. I would recommend someone watch The Dark Half, to be honest with you. It's not that good. It's not that bad. Like I said, it's like, it's like my bar, man. It's my bar. Like, if, it, if it's adequate, it, it, yeah. The Dark Half for me was like, yeah, the best, the best, yeah, barometer of just like, it is, it is so neutral. It's like the true neutral of all of these movies. It's just kind of eh. I mean, I think that the thing to consider is there are... I mean, like, there are several really shockingly good performances in this. I agree. A- a- as a film, it is a good film with a very unsettling and, and unforgiving topic. Yeah, I can see where you're where you're going with that. I'm going to agree with you. I'll put it on under the dark half, which which puts it I, we get, firmly in. We can we can we can put it on top of the dark half. I'm I'm okay saying that. Ian McKellen. I think it's the better film. I, if I'm to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I I'm I am okay with that. Like I I'm okay. It is better than the dark half because the dark half is completely non-offensive, and this did offend me. It made me feel things, Jonathan. So I will give it more credit than the dark half. The dark half was just kind of like, huh. All right. <laughs> but it didn't have the Busey factor, so it doesn't doesn't quite get to Silver Bullet Land. Yeah, yeah. And as good as Ian McKellen's performance was, it wasn't... I don't know, man. I, I uh, And I, I can't say enough about how good that performance Yeah, I, I just kept bouncing off this movie, man. Just because, because recent stuff has kind of changed the tone on this a little bit. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, this movie resonated very differently in the late 90s than it does today. A lot of stuff has happened in our world since the late 90s that makes this movie feel very different than I think the original intent was. Mm-hmm. I'll agree to that. Yeah, th- this is one of those movies that it, it's it's not aged gracefully by no fault of its own. It's not aged gracefully because the world has inherently shifted around it. But you know what, Jonathan? We're going to get another crack at the same plot line. You know, older dude, younger kid weird stuff between them because hearts of Atlantis pretty much has the exact same plot, except it might be about space aliens or something. I forget, but, uh, but we're not there yet. No, we're not next. Uh, next we have, Oh man, next. It, it, let me get on Amazon right now and order a box of Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. We're watching the green. Mo- Cause I've not made it through that film without bawling my eyes out. You want to hear something fun? I'm going in this fresh baby. I have never seen this movie ever. Just, just, Prepare for the gut punch to the feels. If it hits me, it hits me. If it don't, it don't. It is what it is. I, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, I've heard good things. I kind of got, I was kind of late to the party with Shawshank Redemption. Like this came out pretty soon after I watched that. And so another King Tearjerker, I was like, I've, I've got one I really like. I don't know if I really want to rush out and see another. And I just, it. Oh, uh, this is way different than Shawshank. It, it, it takes it in a different, a very different direction. All right. Well. I, I, this is, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. Cause I, I've always wanted a good excuse to watch that movie. And this, this was a good one. 
All right. All right. I cannot wait to hear what you you have to say. Tell me. Text me when you're when you're watching it. Okay. All right. Which brings us to the end of our King and All Things segment. Uh, join us next time for the Green Mile. It is now time for our Year in the Life segment, and that is, of course, our segment where we took take a look at what we deep dove a year ago, and we talk about it again. And how appropriate, because a year ago we were talking about Dune, and we're going to be talking about Dune today, too. Forgot my dice. Episode 115, The Spice Must Flow. Uh, we, were, we were watching. <laughs> Makes me think we should name this one, The Spice Must Flow, again. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to tell you more, but apparently our website is down, so I can't bring that up. I will look into that. Oh, hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so a year ago we were talking about Gale Force 9's Dune, which is, of course, a reprint of the older Dune game. And, um, yeah, man, still holds up. Man, that game is good. And I still stand by Gale Force 9's um, art for that game is is just phenomenal. It's just it's the prettiest version by far. Also, the, the expansion added a lot to it. I'm really enjoying the expansion. Get the expansion. Just don't even think twice. Just do it. All right. So, uh, yeah, a year ago we were talking about Dune. Uh, here we are talking about Dune again. The, the sequel is being filmed. I, I mean, like... 12-year-old Jonathan, having read Dune for the first time, is is sitting inside of my heart right now just squeeing because not only do I get a properly constructed Dune movie that takes the time to show what it needs to show, but now I've got Dune coming out my eyeballs. There's Dune everywhere. It's just a good place to be. Thank you, world. Thank you for, for giving nerds what they deserved. <laughs> Which brings us to the end of this segment. And it's breaky time, and when we return from breaky time, it'll be time for our deep dive into Dune House Secrets. We will return shortly. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And in this episode, we are deep diving Dune House Secrets. In this story-driven adventure game, players take on the roles of rebels who must solve a series of challenging missions with a finite amount of time and resources. Players cooperatively make decisions on how to progress the story as they decide to explore different regions of the world, follow leads, leverage allies, and overcome opposition of all kinds. During gameplay, players use a variety of physical and digital game components, a deck of cards with essential clues and plot twists, a dozen physical handouts, and a dedicated website with additional resources to steer the narrative in a fun and surprising directions for a truly immersive experience. Featuring the cooperative game system used in Portal's award-winning detective, a modern crime board game, Dune House Secrets delivers a deeply thematic experience that drops one to four players in the middle of the highest stakes unfolding on the harsh desert planet of Arrakis. Jonathan, how do you play this game? One turn at a time, just like anything else. Good talk. So how's the rule book? <laughs> One page at a time, just like anything else. Alright, so how are those components? There's some in the box. Anything off in the execution? Eh, you know, we're good. Recommended player count? Some folks. Got anything else to say about the game? Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. All right. 
See you next episode. Party on, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get started with how it plays. Um, There's a little bit of setup. You're going to be putting out your game board. Uh, You're going to be putting out a time tracker. The time tracker is one of the key things that we're going to remember uh, in terms of gameplay. Everything is controlled by time. What you'll be able to get to is controlled by time. How far you'll be able to get in the game is all controlled by time. Time, you cruel mistress, you. Uh, There's also some player boards, which are actually printed on some really neat paper. It's almost got like a plasticky feel to it. Just feels really nice. Uh, There's a a certain texture to them, and I don't know why. It just really resonates with me. It's one of those physical things that I just keep picking it up and being like, huh. That's really neat. I like that. <laughs> you know? You keep touching it like you're on E. You're like, oh, man. Yeah, a fe- little bit, a little oh, bit, a little bit. Have you felt this paper, bit. man? Oh, it's Not so good. Not that any good. of us know about that. Not that any of us know about that. No. The the thing to kind of note is that on the time tracker, there's a couple spaces that are denoted with um, some words. One of them is deliberation space. Uh, one of them is status report. Those are going to be some moments where the game kind of pauses and you do a couple of different things. Um Deliberation is when you'll be uh, discussing findings and encounters with your team, as this is a co-op game. Uh, It should be noted that regardless of player count, it's always going to be the same game. The difference is that when you have human players in the game, you'll be using one side of the character sheets. When you are uh, soloing the game, the the, the characters that you are not representing actively uh, will be flipped over to a... um, advocate side is how it's called in the uh, in the game uh, it just gives you a little bit of difference in how things go when you play as a character actively you will have them um, each, each of those player sheets will have certain things that you get in terms of resources uh, they're all a little bit different it's part of the asymmetry of the game uh, but for the most part the characters are pretty darn similar and yeah that's pretty much it you're going to put a bunch of tokens out You've got a couple boards out, you've got your player boards, and then you've got two decks of cards. The first is the encounter deck. That's really important. That is the meat of the game. The second is the asset deck, which is, uh, you know, supportive of the encounter deck. These are things that you're going to collect during your adventure. Now, I think it's really important that we we set some clear boundaries here. This is a story-driven game. It's more about the story than it is about the game. If you've played any of the detective games, which this is based off of, if you've played Time Stories, you're going to be very at home here. It's very reminiscent of that. And if those games don't speak to you, I'm going to have you pump your brakes right now uh, because there's not a game here for you. This is very much in that family of games where the story, and in this case the theme, are the central characters, not the gameplay. You have to be okay with that going in. And I am. So I dove right in. Uh, So once you've got everything out, uh, you're going to grab one of the chapter introductions. Now, the game comes with uh, three chapters and a prologue. And the prologue really is designed to dip you into the story world um, and bring you up to speed on what you need to know from a a gameplay perspective. Each of these chapter introductions is going to be broken down into five different sections. You've got your introduction... That's your initial plot point and all the fun stuff that sets you up. That's the, the where, if you will, you are, the, the where you are. Then there's the goals. Uh, these goals are what you're trying to accomplish in that chapter. You're going to have probably one to two primary goals, but you will also have some secondary goals that are um, can be very rewarding for your team. Uh, 
Um, this would be called the why you are here. There is the time. Now, remember, if, if you remember, I put up that time, or uh, I told you about setting up that time tracker. That time tracker uh, is going to have a different starting value depending on which scenario you're playing in. It's not always going to start in the same spot. That is going to be basically your limitations, how, how much you can get accomplished in any run through the game. There will be special rules, and these are rules that are specific to the scenario, and they are completely different and, of course, um, ancillary to the core rules of the game. Uh, each scenario has a very distinct feel, and they all have their own specific rules, and they are not all the same, so it's very important to keep those um, uh, clear. And then there's the initial encounters. So remember I told you there's that encounter deck. Um, it's very tall. There's a couple hundred cards in there. And the initial encounters are the ones that you're going to lay out and that you have an opportunity to pursue. And it is basically you, the, the first decisions that you'll make after reading the introduction of the game. Make sense so far? Makes sense so far. Okay, groovy. So your characters are your characters for the entire story. This is very, very much a legacy-style game where the decisions that you make in every single chapter of the story will continue to either help or haunt you, depending on what happens, uh, as you progress, as you play, your characters will be growing and developing because you're going to gr be earning experience points and you can spend those experience points on new skills, which are actually stickers that you put on your skill sheet. The legacy aspect is really interesting because the skill sets that you're going to develop are not always going to be the same and you could jump into two different people's copies of the game and see completely different characters, which is really interesting. The um, characters that you're playing through as advocates, um, are, as NPCs, are similar in regards to their gameplay, uh, but they will differ from a thematic perspective compared to when you're playing the character uh, as a playable character. There's also some resources in the game, and a lot of these are going to seem really familiar if you're at all a Dune fan. You've got water, you've got spice, weapons, subterfuge, and the wild. The wild is, of course, wild tokens that can be replaced with any of the other resources. Resources are how you buy encounters. Encounters are how you progress the story. Uh, resources are also going to be awarded when you successfully finish encounters. So, depending on what you get, you may not always have access to every single spur of the story, depending on what resources you've collected. And that's where things get really interesting, because this is very, very reminiscent of one of the choose-your-own-adventure books of our youth. So, how do you play? You draw an encounter card, and the encounter card is going to be determined by the scenario you're in. So, the scenario will say, hey, grab encounter card X. You'll grab it, and you'll begin to read it. The first thing you're going to do before you start reading it, though, is you're going to increase your time track by one space. Once you have your encounter card, uh, you're going to want to be very careful picking the card off of the, the deck because you don't want to inadvertently reveal potential future uh, story states. You're going to read the encounter aloud to every player at the table. And you want to keep the reverse side hidden unless the card specifically tells you to go there. And the reason why is because you won't always have to access it based on the decisions that you make. And sometimes that can be a good or a bad thing. It just it really depends on, on how you're playing through the encounter. Once you've followed all the instructions, uh, you're going to play the encounter card near the game board. 
keeping track of which encounters you have full access to and which you don't. And access is something that can be determined by the resources that you have. And uh, yeah, you're going to progress from there. Encounter cards will have a couple different things on them. Uh, they could say flip on it, which means you're going to flip it over and uh, you know execute the instructions on the back side of it. It could have a draw consequences uh, token on it. And this is kind of a push your luck aspect within the game. You have a set of tokens available to you, these consequence tokens. And um, you've got a slightly less than 50-50 uh, chance of getting a, a green where nothing happens or a red where you're going to have to move uh, a consequence tracker that's also on the board by one space. Now, whenever you get a red one, you take all of the consequences uh, tokens, including the one that you, you just pulled, the red one that you just pulled, and you get to discard them into the box, reshuffle them, and create a new consequence pool. If you get a green one where nothing happens, then you discard the green one, and the rest of the consequence tokens are there, meaning that the likelihood of you getting a non-consequence has now gone up dramatically. All make sense so far? Yeah, it all makes sense so far. Okay, another instruction that the cards might give you is to take an asset card. That's one of these story elements that are, um, are, are in the game. And those assets are going to be, they could be physical objects, they could be things that you uncovered in your investigation, they could be all kinds of things. Another thing that you can get is an instruction to grab a specific encounter card. It'll tell you exactly what number to grab, you'll grab it, and then you'll execute that encounter card based on, on the decisions that you've made you might see icons indicating that you need to buy this encounter card uh, and you will see exactly how much it costs with the different resources in the game. You'll have to spend those resources to add that to your uh, that encounter card to your, your pile. Another thing that you can see is the ability to add resources to your pool. Uh, when you see this, you're just going to grab whatever resources it indicates and add them into your, your resource pool. Now, here's where something gets really interesting. The game is kind of app-driven, but not with an app that you have to install. It's an app that's a website. And so you'll occasionally see uh, an icon that tells you about histories and about film books. And basically, you go into a website, you access the information for the, for the number that you got, and you watch a short film on the website that, that fills you in on some of the uh, aspects of the story. What does this all look like? Well, you might come to the bottom of a card and it will give you a couple of choices. Like one of them might be talk to the Sardaukar. And if you do, uh, you might see the icon there that says um, uh, it's the spice icon, but with a red X on it. That basically is telling you spend one spice to follow this track of the story. Um, and then you'll look at the instructions there and maybe talk to Sardaukar says uh, grab encounter card number 409. So you pay your spice you find encounter card 409, and then you start executing that encounter card. Remembering, of course, that every time you are grabbing an encounter card, you are moving that time tracker forward, meaning that you have to choose which paths you take very carefully, because there is not enough time to do everything at any time. The game's going to end once the time tracker reaches uh, a certain space on the time track. And at that point, you are going to choose status report from the menu of the website, and it will um, it'll give you some additional pieces of, of information, some additional cards that you might need to grab, and it will kind of wrap you up for that chapter. Now, 
here's where things get weird. There's no winning. There's no losing. You just experience. You're going to experience a unique story based on your decisions. But what's weird is that the game really isn't set up to be replayable because of the sticker aspect. Although, yeah, I think you could modify it pretty easily. At the end of every chapter, you're going to get a bunch of experience based on uh, the things that you've done. Uh, that's going to be tracked on um, uh, tracked in the game. The number of consequences that you have is going to Im- uh, immediately impact how much of that experience you get uh, in a negative way. Too many consequences mean that you're going to lose a lot of your experience points, meaning that you can't buy some of the cooler stuff on the sticker sheet, meaning that you're not necessarily going to have the greatest trip through the game. There's also a victory point tracker that's going to be basically keeping track of how you're doing, but not from a victory standpoint. It will just help to decide what spur you go off of in the story from time to time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's about it in terms of what's in the game. And I can't really go too much in depth into the specifics of what happens on those encounter cards because it would totally be a spoiler. And I don't want to do that because this game is all about experiencing the story. All right, all right. So fill me in. The last very app-driven kind of immersive game I played was the uh, the, the the Cthulhu one, the... the uh, for, for Mansions of Madness. Yeah, yeah. How does that compare to that, just out of curiosity? That's much more board gamey. This is much more story time. Huh. And, and it's really important. So we're going to start talking about player counts and all that fun stuff, right? Uh, let's get that out of the way right now. One player, four players, doesn't really matter. It's always going to be the same story. It's always going to be the same gameplay. The question is, are you working it alone or are you working with a group? I think it works really, really well with a group. I played it with a group, and there was a lot of good table talk, a lot of opportunities to make a decision as a group. I could definitely see if you don't grab the right group that an alpha gamer could totally take over, but that wasn't a problem for us. One thing that I will say is you really need to play this with people that understand and have a baseline knowledge of the Dune universe. Do not play this with a layman. They will be sitting there staring at it just wondering what the hell just happened. Because the game does not hold your hand with the universe. It assumes you know what's going on. Okay. From a time perspective, this takes place right after the end of the first film, in between the gap for the two halves of the book. All right, all right. That makes sense. So if you remember at the film, spoiler alert, the Harkonnens have invaded Arrakis. The Atreides have been pretty thoroughly routed and driven out into the desert where they have befriended the Fremen. And that's about kind of where you are in the story. All right. So how does the rulebook do explaining all that? Rulebook does a great job. Because most of the rules are in the story light, are, are, are on the story cards. So there's very few things that the rulebook really needs to cover. All right. <clears throat> we already talked about the components in there. You just want to feel them, man. You're just like, oh, if you felt these cards, man. Oh, they're so good. Uh, okay, am I touching one right now? Yes. <laughs> nice. And we've already talked about the player count. So tell me if there's anything off about the execution. If you sit down... And don't realize that this is primarily a story-based game. I could clearly see how some people could potentially be disappointed. So when you approach this game, you really need to approach it from the perspective of knowing 
that this is more story than game, but there is enough game in there to hook you into progressing through the story. Like I said, it really relies on those time stories mechanics. It really relies on those detective story mechanics. If you're cool with those types of games, you're going to love this. This is a really good example of those games. If you love Dune, you're going to love this because there's a really good Dune side story in here. If neither of those things is working for you, this might not be the game for you. And I don't say that as a negative to the game. It's just filling a very particular niche and it knows what it wants to be. And it's unapologetic about that. And for me, that's okay, but I can totally understand how for some people it wouldn't be. Hopefully that diatribe makes sense. All right. And is there anything else you want to say about this game before we end the, the show? I, there's, there's no such thing as too many or too few people. Just make sure that you choose the right people to go on this journey with you. Friends that like Dune, take them with you on this journey. They'll have a good time. You don't need to have a hardcore gamer for this. This, this game is very casual friendly as long as they know the Dune universe. There's a lot of fun here. The one thing that hurts it for me is that they did not make it uh, with replayability in mind. I think you could have executed on this idea and still made it replayable. Uh, I, I see very few modifications that would need to be made. And I think you could totally homebrew it that way, and that would be okay. I wish that the leveling up of your characters and that the the abilities that you unlocked were just a bit more impactful but that being said it's 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 definitely helped by the fact that the story is really fun and if you're a dune fan uh, a really nice trip through that universe that is dune house secrets from your friends at portal games there's some really nice art in there too by the way yeah yeah i see that on board game arena or board game geek i should say sorry All right, well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive of Dune House Secrets, which means we are at the end of yet another episode. Episode 134 of the Forgot My Dice podcast is in the can, which, given that we record digitally, is a really dated comment. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. Ticker tape, telegraph, anything else that's outdated that we should lean into? Yeah, land telephones. Ooh, landline. I like it. I like it. Join us on Discord. That's where we really want to be. Yeah, Discord's where it's at. Do it. Do it! Uh, which really leaves us with only one thing, Robert. Any final thoughts? Yeah, but because uh, you've been a little erratic, I was thinking about releasing little mini-sodes where I rant into a microphone for like 15 minutes like Brendan does. Brendan doesn't really rant, though. He just sort of teaches on his podcast. He's got a wonderful brain. I don't know if I have a wonderful brain. I just I didn't know what I could talk about. Like, like I, I was kind of talking with uh, Brendan about this over on the Discord. And he said, like, you could talk about D&D 1 or you could talk about five ideas and RPGs that aren't D&D. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, we're kind of more of a board gaming podcast. I don't want to, like, bore you with my, like, thoughts about role-playing i don't know i don't know i would listen to him so i don't know maybe maybe if that happens again we could experiment with that and i'll just do a 50 i'll do it well not a 15 minute rant i won't time myself i'll just rant about something or talk or until i get done and then when i'm done i'll just go like and we're out sorry we have a short episode this week well, and, and i should apologize a lot of the weird scheduling stuff is definitely coming from my end uh it's just 
Life is crazy right now. Having five school-aged children in extracurricular activities is gobbling up a lot more evenings and weekends than anticipated. It's made life very complicated as of late. Carlos needs to learn how to drive. Oh, it's coming. It's coming, boo-boo. It's coming. It's coming. We are officially you gotta watch out. nine and a half months away. You got to watch out, man. I hear those Zoomers don't like to learn how to drive. Um, well, he's going to have two options. Learn how to drive or stop playing club soccer. Well, um, also, you live in Texas. You can't really not drive in Texas. It doesn't really work all that good. Yeah, it, there's no public transportation here. Right? Yeah, yeah. And everything's spread out. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to, about, to somebody about that today because they were saying it's like it's so much cheaper to live in Texas. And I'm like, yeah, if you want to live like 60 minutes away from where you're working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't understand how large Texas is. And like, brother, you're not even kidding. Like Alexa bought a house in Bertram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was now, checking that out. That is not a short distance away. It, I do not. It took me two and a half hours to do the round trip the other day to drop the kids off. I don't doubt it. And there's probably like traffic if you hit it on the bad time. Cause people definitely live out well, there. That's and work the thing. It was right after work. It was like, it was rush hour essentially. There's like I think all of the lights between here and there. It just took me forever. It was so it was so unbelievably not great of an experience. Yeah, but like nobody nobody thinks about that. You know, like I, I had a friend who bought like, and that's the thing too. Like when they build those housing developments, they don't build them near each other. There's wide open spaces between them as you get to the outskirts of the city. It's it's bizarre. Oh yeah. It's it, this housing development looks so out of place. There's nothing around it, which is really funny because uh, then when I saw Fright Night, it was just like that. Yeah, yeah. The housing development in Fright Night is like surrounded by nothing. Get out of my head. <laughs> Keeping it topical here on the Forgot My Dice podcast, folks. I I don't know. It's surprising how many threads pop up in the Oregon Reddit of like, I'm thinking about moving from Texas. Should I? Is Portland that bad? It's like, Portland's fine. Stop listening to the news. It's fine. Sure, a friend of mine saw saw a homeless lady just hike up her skirt and pee on the street. That happens, but you know what? It's not, still, it's not that bad. I live out in the suburbs. Please, man, I've seen that here in Texas. Yeah. That's that's so pedestrian, it's not even funny. Yeah. That doesn't even register on my weird scale anymore. I know, right? But yeah, out here in Hillsboro, holy God. Yeah, we're, we're out in the burbs, man. Anyway. All right, gang. Well, I think that's it. I think the only thing left to say is uh, to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 